Hi everyone and welcome to the next in our series, Unrivaled. We've been having a look at the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossian church. So far we've worked our way through the first two chapters and today we're going to be having a look at the first few verses of chapter 3 which have already been read for us. Our teaching last week told us that if Jesus is Lord of our lives, we don't need to be under the control of other powers. And this is part of the underlying context of Paul's entire letter to the Colossians. He's speaking out against, uh, I guess we'd call it pre-Jesus philosophies that encourage rule-keeping as a means of maintaining right relationship with God. That being said, this brings me to my friend here on the screen next to me. There is an elephant in the room in today's passage. If one of Paul's purposes is to tell the church that rule-keeping is not the way to maintain right standing with God, well, what's the deal with verses 5 through 8? And I'll read those for you again. It says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Well, that sounds like a lot of rule keeping, doesn't it? We have a philosophy here at New Life that I really like. It's just part of the culture of our community. We don't use fog on people. That's fear, obligation, or guilt. And this portion of Colossians 3 could be read in a really foggy kind of a way. Don't do these things or else. And if that's how it's coming across to you, hang in there because I want to help us unfog this passage and what Paul is saying here. If I just sat here and said to you, don't engage in sexual immorality, um, don't lust, don't be greedy, don't be angry, don't be malicious, don't slander others, don't use filthy language, don't do all of these things because God doesn't like them and that's not what proper Christian people do. That would be using fog on you. And it wouldn't give you any hope or encouragement as to the how. How are we supposed to manage to avoid all of these things all of the time? Well, the other really big elephant in the room is one word found in verse 6. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Wrath, that's not a fun word. You know, if I sat here and told you not to engage in any of those listed behaviors because of God's wrath, I'd be using a whole lot of F from fog. I'd be using fear as a motivator. And we don't do that here at New Life. The subject of what the wrath of God is, that's you know, a whole teaching or a teaching series on its own. And we won't get into it today. To help us keep it in a helpful perspective for where we want to go today, I just want to refer back to what we said last week. 
everything that we could possibly comprehend about God lives in Christ. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And I love this one, God always looks like Jesus. So let's stick a pin in verses 5 to 8 for a little bit, and I hope by the time we're done today, this doesn't feel like an elephant in the room anymore or like fog. In fact, I'm just going to put our friend here away right now. Let's rewind back to verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Well, Paul finished off chapter 2 with a thought that began with these words in verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? And he completes the thought here in chapter 3. We have died and been raised with Christ. Now, this idea of being raised with Christ really emphasizes a new status, a new driving force, a, a new life. And hey, we call ourselves New Life Church for a good reason. In Acts chapter 5, Luke writes about the apostles being thrown into jail by the high priests and the Sadducees. And they all represent, you know, the old way, the rule-keeping way, the foggy way, if I can put it that way. We read these words. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people about this new life. Paul talks a lot about newness of life in his writings to the various early churches. Here he is in Romans 6. Don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And I'd like to take some time and look at this concept of newness of life, being raised with Christ in terms of being connected to, let's call it a new power source. The old power source, the pre-Jesus power source, the rule-keeping philosophies that Paul is warning against, we get to disconnect ourselves from that. And we can label that old energy source as self-propulsion, doing things using only our own effort. God is not calling us to the kinds of behavior change that Paul outlines in verses 5 to 8 under our own power. The power is provided through the newness of life into which we are raised with Christ. Well, the title of our teaching today is Unrivaled Focus. So if you're following along with the sermon notes that you can download below, you'll see that our first focal point is this. We are raised with Christ. He's our power source. And all of that is just in the first half of verse 1, folks. As we move along, Paul says, Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And for our purposes today, here's my paraphrase. Focus on things above where Christ is, seated at God's right hand. Focus on the things of his kingdom, not on earthly things. 
think this provides us with an excellent follow-along to last week's teaching, which encouraged us to be aware of how we're affected by earthly influences like power and wealth and so on. And just to keep this forefront in our minds, this really is the crux of the purpose of Paul in this letter, encouraging the Christians not to be swayed by outside influences, to default to the old way of looking at things, to stay focused on the new way. Andrew T. Lincoln offers us this explanation. The heavenly realm, the things above, centers around the one with whom we have been raised, and since he, Jesus, is in the position of authority at God's right hand, nothing can prevent access to this realm and to God's presence. Well, here I would suggest this understanding. If Christ is our new power source, the very fact that we're raised with him means that we have access to an uninterrupted source of power as we look to those elephant in the room verses. Recall, verse 1 already told us that we've been raised with Christ. So we are in Christ and belong to his kingdom. So when we read, seek things from above, these aren't things that are far off. They're not inaccessible to us. In fact, nothing can prevent our access to them. And this is where Paul's encouragement to the Colossians is also encouragement to us. In Christ, already connected to his kingdom, we just don't need to turn our focus elsewhere. Not on the powers or influences of this world as we talked about last week, and not on our own self-generated efforts, not on self-propulsion. The problem, as you may know, with self-propulsion is that eventually we run out of energy, don't we? Wondering if you ever seen a long-distance race on TV. And when the runners are at the starting line waiting for the signal to begin the race, you know, they're almost just kind of vibrating with energy, aren't they? And they have these really steely looks of determination on their faces. You know, then comes the signal to begin the race and every single runner starts off with just a giant burst of energy. They're all in it to win it. You know, no one starts the race intending to cross the finish line last. But the longer the race goes on and the further the runners travel, the more tired they get. And you can see the amount of energy in them decrease over time as they work hard at this. And for some, the effort just gets to be too much and they need to stop. They quit the race. Some trip and fall and end up otherwise injured. Self-propulsion. We have a limited supply of energy to work with. Since you have been raised with Christ, Paul says, set your hearts and minds on things above. Not if... Since, since you have been raised with Christ. The particular Greek word that Paul uses here can be translated as therefore. Therefore, you have been raised with Christ. It's not a question. It's a statement. There's no question about whether or not we are connected to Christ as our power source for living the kind of life that Paul describes. If we have received Christ, therefore... We receive power to shift our focus from earthly things 
to the things of his kingdom. And that brings us to focal point number two. We are already members of Christ's kingdom. We don't need to focus elsewhere. So why then does our focus tend to shift to other sources of power and authority like we talked about last week? Why do we tend to look at scripture, such as our elephant in the room passage, and try to build our way into Christ's kingdom with lists of do this, don't do that? This is the question that Paul is asking the Colossian church, you know, 2,000 years ago. And it's a question I think we as Christians still wrestle with today. For the Colossians, Paul is trying to steer them away from folks who are suggesting that they go back to the way it's always been done. And we know how that goes. What a force of nature the way it's always been done can be. Change isn't easy to accept. This is why individuals sometimes work with therapists to unravel existing unhealthy behaviors and replace them with new healthier actions. This is why organizations sometimes hire change management consultants, and yes, that is a real thing, to help make major adjustments to mission and operations. Change just isn't easy. And in the face of great change, the old way, even if it's dysfunctional, it can seem comforting to go and revert back to. And when we're trying to achieve significant change, we like to have a guide, you know, a listed set of instructions. There is a certain tangibility, I guess, to listing things out this way. You know, I like lists. You can just ask my coworkers about that. So they help us to figure out what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. And there's comfort in that. We feel more secure. In the context of our relationship with God, lists of behaviors like Paul presents here can help us feel like I'm getting it right with God. And everyone else can see that I'm getting it right with God. And I think there we have an aha moment. And maybe we've hit on a tender spot in what sometimes motivates us to fall back on the lists of do's and don'ts. The perceptions of others. What will other people think of me? I think Paul's next phrase in verse 3, hidden with Christ, can help us make some sense of this. To the Christians that Paul's writing to, their contemporaries would have had a lot of difficulty making heads or tails of the message of Christ. There was nothing like it then, and there's still nothing else like it today. Jesus himself said in Matthew 5.17 that he came to fulfill the law, the rules. He came to put an end to religious do's and don'ts as a means of working one's way into God's kingdom. And the extent to which that would have sounded like utter nonsense to everyone around the Colossian church helps us begin to understand why they were under so much pressure to keep doing things the old way, the, the foggy way. 
It also helps us to understand why that remains such a sustained outward pressure pressing in on the church in its early days. And I think it also helps us to grasp how we've ended up still wrestling with that issue in the church today. Because ultimately, to anyone who hasn't had an encounter with Christ, become hidden in Christ, Christ's kingdom just doesn't fully compute. You know, they might find it attractive and drawn to it and curious about it, but until you have that personal encounter with Christ, his kingdom doesn't quite make sense. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 1.18, where he says the message of the cross of Christ is as foolishness you know, to those who aren't hidden in Christ. There's a really neat theological concept of Christ's kingdom. We refer to it as being here now, but not yet in fullness. And what this means is that Jesus, through the presence of the Holy Spirit and those that follow him, is working out his kingdom principles in the here and now, in us. But because, you know, if you're like me anyway, we're somewhat imperfect human beings, the kingdom is not brought in fullness until Jesus returns. And I'm thinking this is partly why we gravitate to focusing on the lists of most desirable behavior as Jesus' followers. We have this desire to show the world around us, the earthly, the great benefits of the principles of Christ's kingdom. But for our own sake, and for the sake of those that we bear witness to, I believe we're far, far better off as citizens of the here-now-not-yet kingdom just to own our imperfections. We do better when we stay focused on our hiddenness in Christ, but we don't do perfectly because we're imperfect people. This brings us to focal point number three. Don't focus on how the earthly sees the cross and the kingdom, to which I would add this may lead to perfectionism. Well, this brings us to another great turn of phrase in this passage. Look at what Paul says next in verse four. When Christ who is your life. Already before he begins to address the specifics of the behavior he was warning the Colossians about, Paul's reminded them that they have been raised with Christ. That's that new power source that we talked about, what provides us with the ability to engage in behavior change. They have been hidden with Christ. That's that idea that as citizens of the here, now, not yet kingdom, our status as works in progress may not always make sense to the earthly, but to keep our focus on kingdom principles anyway. And now Paul says that Christ is our life. And I really like the word choice in this verse for life here. A, because it just sounds cool in Greek, Zoe. B, because it implies our whole being, physical and spiritual. So we could read verse 4 as Christ is our whole being, or Christ permeates our whole being. 
And that's a concept that Paul tries really, really hard to get across to the early Christians in many of his letters. Here he is in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. So taking all of that into account, we hit our elephant in the room verses again. And it is a list of fairly undesirable behaviors, sexual immorality, lust, greed, anger, slander, obscene talk. But how much more hopeful does conquering those kinds of behaviors seem when we know these three things? Christ is the source of our power over them. We're already members of his kingdom, so we don't need to focus on earthly things to find any additional power. He supplies all that we need. And behavior change is not about proving that we belong to his kingdom. He is our life. He permeates our being. And I think that's a helpful light in which to look at what Paul says next. Since you have taken off your old self with all its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. There's some really cool things going on with the language here. Notice that Paul begins the phrase in the past tense. Since you have taken off your old self and have put on the new. And that's not our having conquered that lists of do's and don'ts using self-propulsion, our own energy. We are considered to have put off the old self because of our hiddenness in Christ, by having him be our life, permeate our being. The focus is on him and what's accomplished in us through him. But then in the second half of the phrase, we shift into the present tense. The new self is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. We are being propelled further forward in behavior change. We are being made more and more each day to resemble the image of God. And this is continuing to be done through the presence and power of Christ in us. Our role in the process is to keep our focus on him, to stay centered on him, on the ways of things above his kingdom. Our role is to make sustained effort to keep our focus from drifting to earthly things. And this is where I want to leave you again with a recap of our few focal points from today. Number one, we are raised with Christ. He is our power source. Number two, we are members of Christ's kingdom. We don't need to focus elsewhere. Number three, don't focus on how the earthly sees the kingdom. And finally, number four, Christ is our life and he is renewing us daily in the image of our Creator. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, 
I first just feel I want to pray for folks who are listening in, watching today, who are struggling with the image of who you are. Maybe to some who are listening, the word wrath really stands out, and that's their image of you, of an angry God who is upset at our imperfect behavior as human beings. To those folks, I just pray by your spirit, you would give reminders that we see you best, God, in fullness as we look at Jesus. I pray that you would enable a refocus on the image of Christ for people who are struggling with that this week. For those who may be struggling to overcome behaviors that they want to put behind them. I pray that your spirit would speak of the nearness of that power source that we have available in Christ to us. For those who might be struggling with the thoughts and judgments of other people around them about what Christian behavior is meant to look like. God, I pray that you would free them from those expectations and help them to focus on you, on the image of you we see revealed in Jesus and on the love that you have for them as a citizen of his kingdom. And Jesus, each of us, we invite you to open our eyes to how you permeate us to how you fill us with life, with newness of life. And we open ourselves to your ongoing work of renewal. Encourage us on, urge us on, draw us further into your likeness so that we can share that with those around us to bring more people into your developing kingdom. We love you. We are so grateful for the ways that you work in us. Encourage our new life family as they journey into this week. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today, folks. Glad you've been here. We'll see you again next Sunday.